I've never tried to ex explain this without a board, without slides, without anything. And, and I'm learning firsthand that it's impossible. It's impossible to get into a discussion about these things without sounding like someone whose head is in the clouds and just kind of dreaming over utopia and shit. Welcome to Jimbo Radio. This is Jimbo. Joining me today is Zoe to do the impossible. Discuss cryptocurrencies without the use of visual aids. The conversation centers around cryptocurrencies, especially Bitcoin, as an alternative solution to centralized institutions arbitrating or enforcing contracts. We discuss why mining is a feature of that solution. The conversation starts with Zoe explaining the only reason to be excited about crypto. All right, Zoe, what is it? Let, let's start with number one, right? I think the fact that we call it cryptocurrency takes our attention away from what is actually more important than the crypto bit in, the, in cryptocurrencies. The crypto part of cryptocurrencies is actually really old technology. There's nothing new about it. Uh, you might as well call, you know, crypto mail or crypto banking or crypto podcasts for that matter, right? The part about cryptocurrency that I think makes it really exciting is the consensus part of it. So I think it should be called consensus currencies, if anything. So I think num a reason number one uh, uh, to get excited about it is to uh, realize that trust is a problem that human beings have been trying to solve for a long time. And so far, the only way that we've figured out how to solve trust is by uh, delegating the uh, power to enforce, in the absence of trust, the power to enforce to some kind of you know, authority, a judge, a government, you know, whatever. And I think uh, uh, getting to the guts of that's a serious problem. We've had many different solutions for it. And we now have a way of solving this problem without one party being more kind of influential or more powerful than the other. In other words, there's no centralized solution. Um, I think that's something that you kind of have to understand and appreciate. You know, and I think that's reason number one, right? How, how it's even possible, right? How, how is this technology even possible? Right? Why is it such a big problem? How is it even possible? What are the solutions like? And then uh, uh, from there, you can kind of think about the rest of it. I'll just give you that one reason. Yeah, so, so like there's not even a institution involved, right? The fact that it's possible to fit, to solve the problem of who do I believe without having to believe anybody, right? That's that in that in and of itself is quite an amazing thing, uh, and and I think, you know, it's this 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 technology has been around for nine years now, but I think a lot of people are still jumping into it, uh, not um, not not maybe appreciating how beautiful the solution actually is, uh, and and I think you know. Appreciating that solution allows you to then think about uh, all the other applications that are often kind of hyped up. Uh, 
Uh, and if you can think about it in, in terms of that, you know, hold, hold up a second here, right? Like, what's the basic idea here? The basic idea is there is a way of trusting somebody without delegating uh, uh, the power of enforcement to a, uh, a third party. That, that's the crucial part. Okay, so and then and then because of that, what are some other reasons to be excited? Like, what are uh, let's maybe just go over the ones that you think should definitely be mentioned. One of it, for example, is if you think about, uh, let's think about like Bitcoin, right? Like that's the guy who invented it said, "Hey, uh, I'm trying to figure out how to have a way of paying each other without." A central authority, right? I think he was wrong, uh, and and I'm not the only person who thinks he was wrong in that regard. I think he got wrong the idea that you have to uh, pay one another, right? That that part he got wrong. But what he did get right was uh, he figured out a way. He, she, they, you know, whatever that is, uh, he figured out a way of uh, keeping track of histories uh, without having to ask somebody what the right version of history is, which then allows you among the many applications, one of it is money. Another one of it, by the way, is, uh, is insurance. Uh, basically, you can agree, you know, because if you think about it, let's think about what insurance is, right? Insurance is just saying, uh, if an event happens, then I'll pay you. That's what, it, that's what insurance is. If there is a fire, I'll pay you. If your leg gets cut off by a table saw, I'll pay for your medical bills, right? That, that, that's the kind of like the idea. But if you think about it, the big problem is how do I know that there is a fight? How do I know that your leg got cut off? And if you trace all, if you trace back what it takes for your insurance company to pay you when there is a fire to your house, Somewhere along that chain will involve appealing to a third party that you have delegated the power to. You need someone to go to the house and make sure that, or even to make sure that, that I didn't set my house on fire on purpose just because like I gambled too much money last night. And, and, then, there's, and then there's a little bit on, on top of that. What, what does that person have to do? How do you make sure that person did their job right? someone to inspect the inspectors or you know right at the end of the day you're basically saying if anyone along the whole verification that there was a fire bit you know if they break the rules there's someone to enforce the rules there is a judge yeah and there's a constitution that that enforces that i mean a lot of people i've spoken to about this don't like how it seems but uh, I'm not the only person who puts it this way. I think at the end of the day, it's about guns. It's about power. It's about actual raw power, the ability to inflict something that you really don't want to be inflicted on you by someone else. I mean, there's a lot of layers on it. You know, like it can say, hey, I'll find you if you don't pay your parking. If you don't park your car right, I'll find you. That's one way. If you don't pay a fine, you know, I'll fine you again. If you don't pay those two fines, I'll put you in front of a court. I lock you away. And if you're belligerent, well, you're locked away. At the end of it, there's something that basically says, I have aircraft carriers and you don't. 
And if you keep fighting the way, you'll talk to the aircraft carriers. It's it's real power, real uh, physical power. Okay, I'll I'll accept that just so we don't get too far off topic. <laughs> no, 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 that's the thing though. I think it's precisely on topic. All the things that we take for granted, all the institutions that we think are there, right, eventually are enforced by physical power, even today. We're not that far away from, you know, uh, the, the guy with the biggest club uh, calls the shots. The U.S. dollar gets its value because the U.S. has the biggest club? Absolutely. Think about it. So, yeah, so... so and and so I'm not saying this was... in a bad way. I, I think it's a very no, no, no. good I mean, way I, for the U.S. dollar to operate. Yeah. Are you familiar with, with Sapiens, Yuval uh, Harari? He like has this idea that um, that most of what makes up society are are these fictions. So he would say like the U.S. dollar is just a fiction. He would say like human rights is just a fiction, and he would say that all these things are just fictions. But because everybody believes in them, or like ninety nine out of a hundred people believe in them, then that's where they get their value. So you're so you're saying the underlying for all that fiction would be a big club. Uh, absolutely right. A big club. Yes. Yes. And so the the um, cryptocurrencies, like let's say Bitcoin, avoids the big club because could you wrap that up in a couple sentences? Can you just re re explain that? So uh, a couple of sentences is not going to cut it, but okay. basically it avoids a big club because you do you're able to have, you're able to uh, dictate what you want and vote for what you want. Uh, uh, without having to delegate that ability to vote ahead of time. You're able to so, vote on which transactions are right without delegating that ability uh, to someone with the power. So is that, is that the transparency aspect? So every, like everything's open to be uh, verified and looked at objectively? or That's one part. Of it. I, I, I think the part that makes it uh, work really well is actually uh, the, the 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 mining process, the one that is kind of so uh, maligned, I think, because of how energy intensive it is. That aspect of it is what makes it tick. The, the, the thing that everyone needs to have about crypto is getting to the guts of why that mining process is an alternative solution to having power being concentrated in the hands of a few. Can you say more about that? The only way we've figured out how to enforce these transactions is by delegating power to an enforcer. That's the only way we've figured it out, right? In all situations where you and I are equal power, we have the same size club, right? And we're trying to get something to agree, and we're trying to agree with one another about it. We've always said, Let's make sure we have a court. Let's make sure we have a government. Let's say we have something, right? That's the only way we've figured out how to deal with disagreements. There's no other way of doing it. I mean, there is the other way, which is we fight, you know, but if fighting is how we do to solve the disagreement, there's no point for the contract in the first place, right? So take that off the table. And in all other forms of contracts that human beings have constructed, it requires a third party 
that we both have somehow said that's the guy who controls the biggest club, the biggest sword, the, the biggest guns, the aircraft carriers, or whatever it is, power, raw power, and that's the guy who's going to enforce contracts, right? That's the only way we've figured out how to make contracts that we can enforce not by fighting one another. It's the only way. There's no other solution. What about mutual uh, mutual um, goals or something like that? Ah, once you say we're on the same team, there is no need for contracts. You write contracts with your wife? No, you don't. I should write some more contracts with her, actually, but we. The guy should too, right? We are we we are currently in our own little arms race, dude. It's about to be a cold war here. You know, once you said when you cooperate. Yeah, then there's no need for contracts. So, so you presupposed a way to need for it. But there are lots of situations in everyday life, everything from paying for something, uh, you know, to, to getting your gutter fixed, to, you know, whatever it is, you know, getting an oil change, where these are arm's length transactions between, you know, adversaries, right, sort of. And in all of them, we've delegated the power to someone else to, to, to resolve it for me. And there's no other solution, not one that I can think of, that doesn't rely on someone holding a really big stick once you go far enough down the rabbit hole. Cryptocurrencies offer a second solution to it. I, I think that's the one and only why you should be excited about it. And so the second solution is the decentralized aspect. Correct, but that's just a buzzword if you don't understand why you know that reason number one was important in the first place you can talk about nfts you can talk about artists not needing middlemen to figure out who gets to play their music you can talk about there's a lot of stuff you can talk about but you would just be kind of uh, uh invoking some kind of magic word if you don't get that first bit which is the how do we figure out how to uh, 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 enforce contracts with one another without delegating the power to third party that's the one and only reason. Yeah. So like I can, I can make a deal with a Somali pirate and I don't have to worry about him screwing me over. That's right. Yeah. That's pretty cool. That's sort of cool. Right. Or, or if you think about it, uh, I can store my wealth without worrying about the institution called government failing and running away with my wealth. That's sort of cool. I can be uh, a country that does not need to trust the US or China or anyone else while still being able to maintain a system of reserves. That's sort of cool. What are the top reasons to not want to get anywhere near cryptocurrencies? It's a tricky thing to understand. So if you're not willing to wrap your head around how that whole decentralized aspect is possible, that's one reason not to do it. So like the nuts and bolts, like like the nitty gritty aspect of it. Like the aspect that I have no idea about how it works. Because at the end of the day, right, if you're investing in it while delegating the nuts and bolts to a third party, you have effectively transformed your investment 
into one where you're trusting a centralized authority in the first place, which negates the entire value of that of that investment, right? So some people are going to say this: Look, I don't care where I put my Bitcoin. When the value goes up, I make money. Yeah, I get that, right? But don't forget that there are a lot of instances where people have put their money in centralized, controlled, you know, uh, holdings that eventually lose their money because they ran afoul of some sort of situation. Think truckers in Canada. Again, I'm not going to talk about the morality of what they're doing. But the fact is, uh, uh, if you are invested in a way that doesn't, is not aligned with the uh, understanding the uh, how that decentralization takes place, your investment is just uh, uh, controlled by um, a centralized authority, and that's it. So yeah, it's like jumping on a bandwagon, right? Basically, jumping jumping on a bandwagon. That's you know, it's like the bandwagon is screaming decentralization, independence, democracy, blah 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 blah. But you're doing everything through a phone app, where the app is controlled by a CEO who answers to Congress. So how so how 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 would you avoid that? Just by knowing just knowing all all the details behind it. So so it's 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 one of those investments that because the nature of the investment is to not have a centralized authority, then all the 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 the, the need to, to be self-educated about it falls on the individual investor, the individual user, whatever the case may be. Okay, this this kind of segues into another question I had. I know I know you kind of um, answered it a little bit, but so I've been kind of referring to cryptocurrencies as like this giant Ponzi scheme, and kind of kind of kind of because like what we're saying like with the bandwagons. I, I mean, I don't think it's like a, a a textbook Ponzi scheme, but I think like a lot of people are are banking on everyone being really excited about something so they can make a lot of money and get out without actually being invested in um, whatever you know whatever the currency is. So what would so what would you say about that aspect just in general? A classic Ponzi scheme is one where the newcomers pay the people who are in first, and that's the only way it can work, right? Um, but then that's the but to say that if someone takes the risk first, or someone sees something and and makes the first move on it. They're going to make money because they took the risk. This is like saying, you know, early investors in Amazon, early investors in Google, they're obviously not Ponzi schemes, right? But the early guys made money. So there's some crypto projects that are obviously Ponzi schemes in the sense that, you know, they'll, they'll promise something like, hey, if you buy now, you'll get a return of X percent per month. And uh, you know a bunch of those returns come from the next guy who gives you the money. Those are Ponzi schemes. But those projects, while while they are a lot of them, in the sense that uh, you get these projects whenever you have an unregulated sort of hyped up space, there's still the minority of the crypto projects. A lot of the crypto projects are situations where the early guys. Uh, who found out about it, took the risk, and, and you know, and some of them made money, and you hear about those. 
And there's a lot of lost money that you don't hear about. That's one thing. So I don't call that a Ponzi scheme. It sounds like a Ponzi scheme if you hear only about the guys who made money. But once you realize that a whole bunch lost money, then you kind of go, okay, maybe it's not a Ponzi scheme. And then there's the other one, which is a lot of these coins are, are, are created where the developers will put aside a bunch of coins for themselves. And it's called like the founders <laughs> fee or something like that. Um, and the part that makes it feel like a Ponzi scheme again is that there's so much hype surrounding this space that you can say you're a founder by copying a bunch of code, throwing a bunch of buzzwords and hoping that people believe you, right? And then it goes all the way back to my first point. If what I said about the decentralization, all that stuff, sounds like, oh, but that's so boring. You know, tell me something more exciting. If you, if you kind of really get the nuts and bolts of how the thing works, then you wouldn't fall for these Ponzi schemes. And you wouldn't fall for these developer fees uh, in the sense that you'd be like, but hang on, you're not really solving a new problem. Right, all the buzzwords are empty. Um, so yeah, is it a Ponzi scheme? No, not in the classic sense. Do early adopters make money? Yes, in the sense that many are taking risks. And then, is there a a a, a touch of because there's no regulation, you're free to make up stuff and hope people believe you? Uh, yes, there is, but that's no different from saying, look. My picture is really pretty. Why don't you buy it? I'm sure you'll like it. I don't think that should be illegal. Uh, I, I, you know, I've kind of mentioned this to you before. Um, because the underlying technology is about decentralization, I don't think it should be regulated. It should be up to individual investors to go and figure out what this tech is and to invest responsibly. Because the whole idea is you don't need a central party. So if you say, I'm going to invest in the technology that dispenses with a central authority, but I want to be protected by the central authority, it's a bit circular. So I don't think it should be circular. I think, uh, um, uh, I think it should be a wild, wild west because that's what the technology offers. Okay, so this so this kind of goes into one of my other questions I had. How secure is crypto? There's two aspects of it. Uh, there's one part of it that has to do with identification, who you are. That part of it is as secure as anything else. Okay, so personality or uh, personal information very secure. Yes. Uh, it's it's secure in the sense that as long as your identity is not compromised, you're as secure as you know logging onto your bank account stuff. Like that. Then there's a second part, which is is the system that you are uh, um, maintaining. Is that as secure as say putting your money in the bank? Uh, that becomes a really tricky discussion in the sense that you're then asking uh, is the institution of Bitcoin as secure, Bitcoin, any other coin that you can think of really, as secure as uh, the institution of the US government? That's not an easy question. I, I, I don't know. Will Bitcoin outlive the US government? I don't know. Will Bitcoin outlive 
Some governments, yeah. The answer to that is yes. It might outlive Ukraine. Right. I mean, it might outlive North Korea. I don't, I don't know, right? But, but the point is, it's obvious the answer is yes. But uh, will it outlive the U.S.? Uh, that question is equivalent to will some form of internet communication that allows people to communicate with one another outlive any single institution? What do you think the answer to that is? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I'd say there's a good chance. So if, if you think the answer is a good, is, is a good chance, then uh, uh, as long as uh, no single political entity con uh, uh, maintains enough computing power to disrupt the Bitcoin network, which is how people communicate with one another, then Bitcoin can outlive what we think of as the most stable political entity institution in the world, which is the U.S. government. Right. It, it, the answer doesn't need to be a yes or a no. The, the question is, is it, you know, not impossible? Is it, you know, kind of, yeah, you know, it's not crazy to think about it, right? Because then you can think about Bitcoin as uh, one form of insurance, right? It's like thinking everybody, everybody buys some form of insurance, even though the events that you're insuring against are not very likely. So then one way you can think about it is uh, Bitcoin then becomes something like an insurance. How do you carry value into a state of the world where uh, the, 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 the institutions that you trust to carry that value for you have sort of collapsed? Yeah, so if, if anyone listening wants to answer for themselves, like how secure is Bitcoin? They can just ask themselves, do I think Bitcoin could outlast the U.S. government? Or, or really, like, the, it doesn't have to be U.S. government. It's sure, going to be or, whatever institution yes. it is, right, that is your way of transferring value you know, into a different part of the world, a different point in time. So you know, if we're, if we're in the U.S., so we think about it as versus the U.S. government, you know, that would be a good comparison. But Chinese if you're Congress sitting, Party. if you're sitting out in Russia, then the question is, uh, uh, would Bitcoin outlive the Russian government? That's the question. And if the answer is yes, then Bitcoin would have some value as far as uh, uh, an insurance is concerned to a Russian citizen in Russia, right? And then you know, as you know, with trade. If there's some things that are off value to some people somewhere in the world, they'll be off value to people anywhere in the world, right? So that's how you can have uh, a Bitcoin in the United States being worth something to an American, even though the American believes that Bitcoin will not outlive the U.S. government. That's fine. Sure. Yeah, it just has yeah. to outlive the Russian government some, or something. Oh, yeah, some people somewhere. And, and I think Bitcoin will outlive most governments. Yes, yeah, so, so you probably have a lot more faith in its security than I do. Then, I mean, but, I, but I, yeah, I, I think I also have some. I also I, wait, when you say you don't have faith in Bitcoin security, what do you actually mean? I don't really. No, I'm saying I don't. I don't have as much faith as you that Bitcoin's going to be around as long as you think it's going to be. But, but, I could. What, what's going to bring it down? Then? 
Uh, you, you mean, you know, can you be specific about your reasons? How do you take Bitcoin uh, down, for example? Okay, so I, uh, maybe not so much. So I could see a future where maybe there's something else besides the internet, even though obviously I have no idea what that would be that replaces the internet. So that's so that's one thing. I could also but see. Can uh, I ask people, a second question? Yes. Yeah. Why? Why? What does the internet do for Bitcoin? Isn't isn't uh so yeah so I guess this new this new thing that would come in could also um, be a platform. Bitcoin could be yeah. on that thing, yeah. So I'm stopping that. Sure. Okay, so then so then I guess my my uh, my answer would be that I don't know if Bitcoin is going to be valuable enough to people in order to to have a meaningful long longevity as far as being used as currency. I think I've sort of convinced you that everything that you do in your life involves reliance on an institution that you voted for, basically. For us, it's an institution that we voted for. You know, for North Korea, it's an institution that you were born into. Everything, every single thing that you do in your life depends on that institution that you have delegated power to. It's crazy, right? It's, it's sort of crazy that that's the only thing we've figured out. The only way to trust one another is to delegate the power of enforcing to a third party and hope that guy doesn't go back. Okay, so how does Bitcoin evade that third party? The way it evades that third party is by allowing individuals, to I call it voting, to vote for what they want all the time. That's how it does. Now, then you're going to think, hold up, isn't that how we do it? Every four years, we vote for the U.S. government. Well, or I, I would even say, like, I vote for what I believe in by, like, the products I buy and the, the way I spend my money and the way I, I guess, even spend my, spend my labor. Where you uh, provide your labor. Now, now, let's, now, let's think about it as uh, when you work somewhere, uh, you get paid $10, let's say, right? You know, $10. You, you go work somewhere for 10 hours and you get paid $10. What, who gives you those $10? What's the institution that gives you the $10? Well, it doesn't necessarily have to be an institution, but yeah, it's whoever I'm working for. I don't think so. I don't think that's the answer. My this aircraft carries. And I'll tell you how it happens. I'll tell you how it happens. When you work and get $10, there's a bank somewhere that says Jimbo has $10. And the only reason why the $10 that the bank says he has is worth $10 to everyone else you're interacting with is if they don't agree with those $10, they're going to have to talk to somebody who's going to make sure that they agree to it. And the way that somebody makes sure that they agree to it eventually leads to aircraft carriers. Bitcoin doesn't have any air aircraft carriers. So what does it do? If you want an event, you just vote for it. You just say, here, 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 here. You know, I, I would like this to happen. And it happens. Now, now you're going to call up. You're going to immediately say, hold up here. If I were to say, I want something, I would immediately say, I want to be Jeff Bezos. And... Why doesn't it happen, right? 
The answer is because no one else is voting for you, Jimbo, to be Jeff Bezos. So Bitcoin works because everyone in the Bitcoin ecosystem is voting for the same thing all the time. And that same thing is the transactions that people are making with one another. Is it possible that someone in there could not vote for a transaction that someone's making? Ah, so let, let, let's think about the following situation, right? Suppose you say, if I vote for the truth and I win, I get rewarded for it with some small positive probability. And if I vote for something that's a lie and I win, I'll win the lie, but the probability of me winning is so small that it's not worth me voting for the lie. So as a result, I vote for the truth every single time. That's the, that's the form of incentives that takes place on the Bitcoin network. Because the voting in Bitcoin is costly. For example, if I say, hey, I'm a billionaire. I have to pay 10 cents to do it. And I know that if I say, hey, I'm a billionaire, I vote for that. But my vote is going to fail every single time. Then it makes no sense because I'm just bleeding 10 cents again and again and again and again. And again. But if I say, I vote for, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, that person to, to have 30 bucks, that person at 40. I vote for the truth, basically. All right? And I keep voting for the truth. If I get lucky, I get rewarded with something that is worth more than that effort that I put. In. And that's why I'm voting for it. And I'm doing it every single time. So that's half of the puzzle. How is anyone actually actively voting or not voting? Ah, that's the mining part. When people are mining for something, what they're doing is they're saying, I'm voting for a, re a record of transactions uh, that is, you know, reflects what happens in the real world. And if I happen to get lucky and my vote counts, then the whole, you know, ecosystem rewards me with some money to spend. That's what the mining is. But it works because everybody is voting for the truth. No one is counting the votes of the miners. Every other person, every other miner, right? Whenever a miner says, hey, I have found, uh, I've gotten lucky. Everyone else verifies that the miner has gotten lucky, right? Which is different from when you pay someone $5 and get a burger, right? No one else, you don't have the rest of the American society coming to make sure that that $5 isn't counterfeit. That doesn't happen. Because if that $5 you gave is counterfeit, guess what? The secret service will be on your ass right away, which is, you know, the aircraft carriers. That's the difference. But in Bitcoin, if you said, I give you five Bitcoin for a burger, everyone else verifies that you've given five Bitcoin. There's so, no aircraft carriers. So if Jeff Bezos did want to go in there and say, no, 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 I didn't buy that burger for $5, he would he have would to, need to outvote he, everybody. He, for one, he couldn't physically do it. Given the amount of computers that are voting, you know, on mining on the Bitcoin network, there isn't a single entity in the world who can say, hey, I'll outcompute you. I mean, there, there are some other attack vectors, which is, for example, there's a lot of miners who are in Texas right now, right? You could take control of those miners. Mm. By controlling the people who are controlling the miners, you literally take the hardware. So that's one way, right? But absent that, there's not a single entity that can outcompute the Bitcoin network at the moment. So someone, someone, an, an, an evil Jeff Bezos 
best case scenario would be to bribe all the miners, like to bribe a, a just a ton of miners. But if he would have bribed the miners, he might have just buy the Bitcoin. Unless he has a really big aircraft. That doesn't work. He, he can take them by force. He can attack yes. them. Like physically go out and hit them. Or he can go buy or produce a bunch of computers and try and outmine them. Not, not the best strategy either. The mining and the verifying is doing the voting. And because it's so costly to vote against... It pretty, the system pretty much just maintains or the, the system is a self-promoting truth or yeah uh, I mean yeah you, you actually you, yeah. you've actually used a whole bunch of technical words that for the most part fall in the right place yes okay <laughs> yeah. yeah no no yeah, yeah it's it's uh it's 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 a Nash equilibrium actually say that again it's it's a Nash equilibrium so if all the other miners oh, are Nash equilibrium truth, okay you know, me as a miner, I would vote for the truth too. It's like the easiest prisoner's dilemma in, in, in the world, right? Very easy choice, right? I mean, like there's no, there's no yeah, reason correct, to... Correct, correct. That's the only reason to do it. Yes. Correct. There's no reason <laughs> to defect. Yes. There's no reason to lie on the Bitcoin network because the incentives are constructed in such a way and, and it's enabled by cryptography. But it's the incentives part that makes crypto crypto. Not the cryptography. Okay, so anyone out there listening, consensus currencies, not cryptocurrencies, right? We're going to switch that term. If, if I had it my way, yeah, it's it's less catchy. It's a it's a lot more annoying. It's not as sexy. Like, it's, it's not, not as, sexy. as sexy. It isn't, you know. But then if you think if you think about it, like at least the way I think about it, which you know may not be the right way to think about it, but that's how I think about it. That's what we're yeah, I think it's all about consensus. And and at the heart of every blockchain project, all the other things, the, the big question to ask is, is there a lot to gain from being able to do this without a central authority? If the answer is yes, then that blockchain has value. If the answer is no, then no. The answer is no. Now I think I have a way better understanding of where Bitcoin gets its value and why people actually believe in it, even though most people probably don't understand why they believe in it. <laughs> I, I, I think so. I think, the, I think the guts matter, but yeah, you know, it, it's about, it's about the idea that you can, can, you can transmit value over time and space without having to rely on the third party. And, and, and transmitting value is one thing. And, and if you kind of take a step back and ask, what does transmitting value mean? It's, it's just about writing contracts without relying on a third party to enforce it. And that's what the smart contracts are. They allow you to enforce contracts without a third party to enforce it. Okay, so how, so how do I actually make a, con a contract with someone on Bitcoin? In Bitcoin, it's a bit tricky because Bitcoin doesn't allow you to have conditional statements. But in 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 in, uh, uh, in 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 Ethereum, you can do it. Uh, you can basically say, for example, let's assume that we have a way of figuring out what the temperature is over a wheat field in Iowa. Maybe they don't do wheat in Iowa or corn, but in Iowa uh, at a particular point in the future. 
then I could write a contract that says if the temperature over the wheat field is above 65, I pay you five bucks. If it's below 65, I pay you four bucks. You can say, well, I can easily, you know, think about weather futures. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But, but all those contracts that you write require lawyers because they're written for the interpretation of courts who are, again, do not forget, courts are aircraft carriers. That's what they are. That's what allows the nine-person Supreme Court to project their power. If you don't like what they say, you talk to the aircraft carriers. At the end of the day, that's what happens, which is very expensive, but also very efficient. You know, I, I hope I don't come across as someone who says, you know, as an anarchist. No, no, no. That's the only way that we have figured out how to solve the, the problem of contracting, of, of, you know, which what happens if we don't agree on a version of events. We've only figured out one solution. Give someone a big club and let him decide. That's the only solution we're figuring for a solution for for a problem that's this universal, this tricky. The fact that there is another way of solving this problem is what gets me really excited about crypto. All right, so here maybe we'll do uh, one one more question. Uh, <laughs> this might end can, up being let's delete the whole damn thing. <laughs> no, no, I th it's uh, so how much how much innovation. And what type of innovation is tied to consensus currencies? Is this, is this, I mean, is there like a lot of future innovation there? Or if we drop, you know, the consensus currencies, we're, you know, we're not going to lose much or. I, I think, I think where we're going to have, where we see a lot of innovation is going to be in how we can achieve the middle ground in these two extreme solutions. All right. Solution number one is. Give someone a big bat, and that's how we resolve disagreements, etc. Right? That's the court system, the same old way we've been doing things all this time. Sign, and if you got a problem, we'll see you in court and we reduke it out. On the other end, complete other extreme is the whole Bitcoin uh, uh, ecosystem, where uh, zero uh, uh, third party. The kind of transactions that you can sustain are, are sort of dumb. I mean, you call them smart contracts, but they're really dumb contracts because a lot of contracts between humans require human interpretation. And that's a good thing. Right? That's a really good thing. So I think a lot of the development will come in the, in the sense that you say for different applications that are out there, there is a middle ground between the two that involves a bit of regulation, but also... Uh, allows people to automate some forms of contracting that may otherwise uh, be expensive. And as with any specific applications, it's going to require prior knowledge of where the application, you know, or, or where it's going to be used, institutional background knowledge, buy-in from all stakeholders. So there's going to be a lot of innovation there. But I think the way to understand all those uh, intermediate uh, applications is, and this is for everybody who wants to get into crypto, is to have a really good understanding about why that we had one solution before and how that second solution is even possible. Then you can think about why all these middle grounds are so cool. Maybe going in the next 10 years, do you, do you expect a lot more middle ground then? I actually think most of them will fizzle out. 
Uh, I am one of those who I don't think that uh, most of these projects uh, will actually take. Not, not that it can. I think there's a lot of hype at the moment. I, I think that for a lot of these projects, at the end of the day, uh, it is much more efficient for, for example, good competition between corporations or good comp- you know, market competition uh, uh, to deliver uh, a, a useful product. A lot of blockchain projects are the way they are because of the hype. I, I personally do not know of blockchains that have solved problems that are as fundamental as what the problem that Bitcoin solved, the problem that you know, Ethereum solved. I, I haven't dug into the details of a particular white paper, but there is a, if you really dig deep into it, uh, uh, all these problems come down to the ability to generate a random number and to verify that a random number was generated. There is a project out there that claims to have solved this problem. Uh, I haven't gone through the white paper. Uh, I haven't you know, convinced myself that it's doable. But if it's doable, then I consider that project uh, as something that's a fundamental solution to this problem of how do you trust somebody without having to delegate, pre-delegate that trust. I'm not going to name the project because I, uh-huh. like I said, I, I don't want to be one of those guys who's plugging something. This is what I'm looking for. Uh, when you ask me which one of these, do, do I think there's going to be a lot of innovation in the space? Uh, my answer is no, I don't think so. I think uh, a lot of the projects that are out there that are attracting billions of dollars are to me uh, hype because I can't see how they solve fundamental problems. Okay, and when you, when you say the fundamental problem, you're, you're talking about just reinforcing, uh, do, doing something that can't be done uh, without a third party. Uh, I think that's the key fundamental problem. I think there's a big difference in Ethereum versus Bitcoin. Uh, I think there's a big difference in, uh, 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 for example, getting rid of the amount of capital and energy that you consume, but only because of externalities, uh, you know, and, and I think that's a separate topic, but, you know, I, I, I don't think uh, these newcomers that say, hey, we're going to take down uh, Ethereum because uh, we're environmentally friendly. I, I, I don't think that's a concern. I'm one of those guys who do not think the environmental problem is a problem at all for Bitcoin. Zero. To, to me, that enters zero in how important it is. To say that uh, Bitcoin uh, has an environmental problem is equivalent to saying anything that consumes electricity has an environmental problem. It's equivalent. Yeah, podcasting. You know, people people haven't mentioned how much podcasting pollutes, man. It's, it's a huge environmental problem, podcasting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, we have an environmental problem, and the way to solve the problem is clean energy. That's it, right? Because we need energy. We're going to use energy. I, I believe that there are very few of these other projects that actually make uh, real-world outcomes significantly better. Because for a lot of things, I think uh, firms solve that problem. Corporations have solved their problems by creating centralized kind of clearing houses for a lot of these contracts. And that's the right way to do it. Is, it, is there any way to get around the amount of mining that needs to be done? No, the mining is a feature, not a bug. Because the more yeah. mining you do, 
the more difficult it is for any uh, uh, entity who wants to take down the network to take down the network. So the mining so, is a feature, not a bug. At some point, is is there no longer a small incentive for doing the mining? Uh, no, the incentives are always there. The incentives are okay. constant. Because the incentives for mining is always uh, how much do I gain from mining compared to how much I gain from mining. And the thing about the Bitcoin network is the difficulty is adjusted all the time so that the number of Bitcoins that are produced is a constant. But taking a step back, then you need the prices of Bitcoin. You need all the energy that's involved and how difficult it is to find that Bitcoin. If Bitcoin becomes cheap, if it becomes not worth mining, right? If that's true, Bitcoin would also become weak in the sense that it's no longer useful as a form of insurance. If we lived in a world where very few computers mine Bitcoin, no pollution, no nothing, that world cannot be in, a, in the same world as the one where Bitcoin is valued. For Bitcoin to be valuable, it has to mine a lot. That's a feature, not a bug. Right? So it will pollute in the sense that it will consume energy. That's the only world where Bitcoin is used, the security that it provides. The, the, the security of Bitcoin is directly correlated with the amount of mining that takes place in Bitcoin. But the incentives on whether to turn on a miner or not is directly correlated with the price of Bitcoin. Now, there isn't a world where you can have like, really useful Bitcoin, and I see the use of Bitcoin as the security that it provides and nothing else. Uh, I don't see it useful as a form of currency. So there isn't a world where it's not going to consume energy. All right. Well, I think we have covered all the talking points that I wanted to touch on. What do you think? <laughs> I think that's good. I, think, I don't know, yeah, dude. I think that's good. I've never tried to ex explain this without a board, without slides, without anything. And, and I'm learning firsthand that it's impossible. It's impossible to get into a discussion about these things without sounding like someone whose head is in the clouds and just kind of dreaming over utopia and shit. Me, right? Like just kind of playing it back in my head. Uh, like it's exactly the kind of teaching that I'm trying to avoid. Well, you know what, Zo? Let's let the listeners decide. So, listeners. I learned a lot from this conversation. I think this was a productive conversation. And why don't you let us know what you think? In fact, I am looking and accepting any and all feedback. I'd love to hear from anyone that's listening to this. So feel free to send me a message. I would love to engage with whatever ideas any listeners have, any ideas for future episodes, whatever. Open to any and all feedback. All right, until next time, Jimbo out.